I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in God's Word to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll look at the first four verses of Paul's magisterial chapter. Romans chapter 8, under the heading of, No Condemnation, Now I Dread. From Romans 8, the first four verses. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the Word of the Lord. May He add His blessing upon it. Well, blessed congregation, in Charles Wesley's famous hymn, And Can It Be, the final stanza begins, No condemnation, now I dread, Jesus and all in Him is mine. This celebrated hymn is giving expression to the Apostle Paul's word in Romans 8 that God's legal verdict, His legal declaration is that there is no condemnation for believers. This book of Romans has been called the high peak of Scripture. And Romans 8 is its center and its summit. And the theme the Apostle Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 8 is that of the Christian's assurance. Which is why the Apostle begins in Romans 8 verse 1 that there is no condemnation But he ends in verse 39 with that there is no separation. The entire chapter is about the spiritual victory and the eternal salvation that we have been given in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. Now, I dread. And beloved, this is an important theme. Because if we are honest, as Christians, we can dread a lot. We can dread our work, our due dates, uncertainties and trials, our futures and failures. But the Christian dreads the most their sins. And we dread the idea of disappointing our God. Some Christians might even say this morning that Satan tempts me. That maybe in that final day when God looks at me in my sins, will He say no condemnation? When He looks at the list of what I've struggled with, my failures, my deepest, darkest things, Satan wants to tempt us that God will say, it's just too much 
for me. Heaven is too pure for you. And we wonder if we can sing that hymn, No Condemnation. Now I dread. It's an important theme. Because shouldn't Paul dread? Shouldn't Paul fear? After what he just said in Romans chapter 7. Remember last week, this is the pastor Paul, the apostle Paul, who said in Romans chapter 7, he still struggles with sin. Look at verse 8. He tells us that he has coveted. Verse 21, Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He said that what he has done is evil. Verse 24, even in the state of grace, we said, he cries out, wretched man that I am. And he confesses to his congregation, congregation that he will be a part of in just a little while, that he still has an ongoing struggle with sin. How can Paul say, there is therefore now no condemnation? How can we say, no condemnation, now I dread? And I think Charles Wesley hits the nail on the head. Because Jesus and all in Him is mine. You see, if Romans 7 shows us the ongoing struggle with sin, Romans 8 shows us the ongoing victory that we have in God. Think of it as a rich treasure chest of blessings that a Christian receives. In this entire chapter, there is not a single imperative or command. It is blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Verse 1, let's go through this chapter really quickly. Paul says, we are justified in Christ. Verse 2, he says we're liberated in Christ. Verse 9, we're indwelt by the Spirit. Verses 10 and 11, we're regenerated by the Spirit. Verse 13, we kill sin. Verse 15, we're adopted by God. Verse 16, given assurance of salvation. Verse 17, an inheritance in Christ. Verse 18, future glory in Christ. Verses 26 and 27, the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, the providence of God. Verse 29, election. Verse 28, the call. Verses 35 through 39, eternal security. The vaults of heaven have been opened. And it's all free. given without cost. Assurance of the final victory. This morning I want to show you in these first four verses that all God, all of the Godhead is included in assuring us of Christ's work. All three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to assure us of our victory in Christ. I want to show you the Son's atonement. That's our first point. The Spirit's liberation. Our second point. And third, the Father's verdict. The Son's atonement, the Spirit's liberation, and third, the Father's verdict. First, let's bring our attention to the Son's atonement. Paul begins in verse 1 
with the word, therefore. Which is a marker used actually throughout the book of Romans when Paul is drawing a conclusion to his arguments. He uses it in chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 12, 6, verse 12, 8, verse 1, and 12, verse 1. And it indicates that what Paul is about to say is joined with his arguments that he made prior. And why this is important for you to know is because you need to remember that in the book of Romans, Paul has laid out many things, but simply put, he has laid out our guilt and our God's grace. And then beginning in chapter 12, he'll speak about our gratitude towards God. Therefore, is important because it applies to those who are guilty. He has already laid out that our true self is sinful and slaves to sin. Remember, that was Romans 1. He said in Romans 7, we live in a body of death. Paul says, for that person, there is no condemnation. Not just condemnation for the good guy. Not just no condemnation for the righteous girl. But no condemnation for sinners. Like you. Like me. Like Paul. And the most important word in this sentence is actually that word no. It's the first word in the Greek. And it's actually a compound word which is even stronger than the normal word for no. Paul is emphatic here. Saying it in the strongest possible terms. There is absolutely no condemnation. And sometimes we wonder as Christians, is God really willing to forgive my sin? We know intellectually that God is willing to forgive those who steal. He is willing to forgive those who lie. He may even be willing, He is willing even to forgive the murderer. But what about our sin? The sins that keep us awake at night. Is He willing to forgive the dad whose anger seems to push his daughter from the church and from the Lord? Is He willing to forgive the gossip whose tongue shreds apart relationships? Not just the bad sins, but can God deal with our secret sins? And the picture in Romans 8 is that God does a thorough investigation. You see, the word condemned is a legal term. We could translate it even as damnation or death sentence for someone who's found guilty. And the picture we're given in Romans 8 is that God is examining the accused. And what we've been accused of is suppressing the truth. Romans 1.18 We've been accused of failing to keep the law Romans 2. Of not seeking God, Romans 3. Of serving sin, Romans 6. But that God does an investigation of the person in Jesus 
And the declaration from the bench is that they are not guilty. That there is no condemnation. Remember, it's a legal term. Free from penalty. Free from debt. There is no charge against you. This is the promise of Romans 8. That God does not condemn His children. Now sometimes we can actually misread this verse. A common error we find in Romans 8 is that we read, we are not condemned. But read it again. It's much stronger than that. There is no condemnation. To not be condemned is a one-time event. But to have no condemnation means that we will never be brought into judgment again. That for the Christian, there's no condemnation at all. It's not that we survived once and we might be brought into judgment again. Or it's not that we might sin again and then we have to go back and try to deal with that problem once more and sit on the judgment seat again. But that there is no condemnation for the sins past. There's no condemnation for the sins of tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. That the condemnation has been removed forever. And you say, how can this be? Paul says, because you're in Christ Jesus. You see, there's only two types of people in this world. There are those who are not in Christ Jesus and who are under condemnation and those who are in Christ Jesus and will never be condemned. Now notice how Paul phrases this. In Christ Jesus. I don't know about you boys and girls, but I was always under the impression that we had to let Jesus into our hearts. Now it's talking about we need to get actually in Him. And it's actually a common phrase used throughout the New Testament. We see it in 1 Peter and Philippians and Colossians. And when Paul or the other apostles refer to being in Christ... They're actually referring to the atonement. That God is so holy that He cannot overlook sin so that it needs to be paid for. So the Bible tells us that the wrath of God was poured out on His Son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. And so that on the cross, when Jesus said it was finished, He was stating that He had paid for every act of rebellion past present, and future. And that to be in Christ is to mean that His sacrifice has been the payment for our sins. In God's court of law, our rap sheet contains every sinful thought. It contains every attitude or action he ever com- we ever committed, but that when He looks at the accused, He writes, in Christ. In Jesus' blood. And we are not condemned. God will never condemn His children. 
but the reality is we often condemn ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones said most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of Romans 8 verse 1. The sad reality is that many Christians are unaware of a peace, a glorious peace that is offered to us in Christ. Sometimes we think maybe the reality of sin is actually not that big and so the Gospel is small in our minds. Then the flip side of that is that we could be overly burdened by our sins and think that we're too rough and tumble for the Gospel. But what God really wants is Christians who rest in that Gospel promise. Who can confess with Paul, I am both wretched, but I am not condemned. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. We are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved than we ever dared hope for. Now, no condemnation doesn't mean that we'll never experience God's displeasure. We can still experience God's indignation for our sins that we still experience and participate in in this life. But what no condemnation means for us as believers here today is that God is never against you. Even when God disciplines you, He is for you. When He chastises you, doesn't He do that because He loves you? Says the Scripture. In fact, the very one we sins against, sin against is the one who pleads our cause, our cause, excuse me, before the throne of heaven. He will always be for us all the days of our life. Beginning now, Paul says, for all eternity, God is for his people. And you see, there's one more important word I want to bring to your attention. Notice that word, now. It denotes the time of no condemnation. The moment someone believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the condemnation is removed. You don't have to wait till you're 18. You don't have to wait till you're married. You don't have to wait till you get your life in order and deal with that one pesky sin. Even right now, Paul says, there is no condemnation. Christ is willing to receive all those whose hearts fear judgment and desire salvation. Have you trusted in Him today? Right now, as the Scriptures say, today is the day of salvation. No condemnation today in Christ. Now this is an amazing truth. But remember, it's only a part of the Gospel. See, the Gospel doesn't just deal with our legal guilt before God. But Paul was speaking about in Romans 7 that there was a law within him that was an internal corruption that he still struggled with even as a Christian. Remember, he says that in Romans 7. It's a law in my members. It seems to draw him. There's an irresistible pull towards that which is not good. But the second thing Paul says about the assurance of victory is that the Spirit is working 
liberation in his heart. It is working in our lives to hate sin and love God. Look at verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We noticed last week that the Apostle Paul uses the word law in different ways. He'll use the word law to refer refer to the Ten Commandments. He'll use the word law to refer to a power or a force. And we're seeing that here again. He uses law in two different ways. We see first the law of sin and death. And here again it refers to power. Force. You don't need to be that old to know that sin has power. Mom and dad, do you need to force your kids to sin? No, they just do it. Think of the little child that happily beats up their little brother or sister. We don't need to put a gun to our head in order to motivate us to do what our flesh desires. We sin by our own choice because we love to do it. That's the same principle that Paul was talking about last chapter. Sin is a power that can captivate us. It can enslave us. It's addicting. And Paul calls it a law. And it can become so powerful we don't know how to break the power of sin. That's why Paul calls the Holy Spirit the law of the Spirit of life. Because He is the one who is life. The one who gives life. He is not a rule or a precept, but He is a force. He is a power. And Paul says that this is a power who is a stronger force. He is a better governing influence. A new power in your life. One example I came across in my studies this week is the law of of gravity. See, if I took a piece of metal and threw it up into this congregation, boys and girls, what would happen to that piece of metal? Fall crashing to the ground, right? That's the law of gravity. But how can we put hundreds of tons of metal into the air and fly across the world in a plane? Because there is a greater law, a greater power, called the law of aerodynamics. Man is able to overcome the law of gravity by having a better law. And I know that sometimes the law of sin and death feels like the most powerful force. It can be the strongest law. But we need to fight power with power. Yes, you must be in Christ, but the law of the Spirit of life needs to be in you. And since the Spirit is the second person of the Godhead, He is all-powerful. He is all-omnipotent. He is able to overcome the law of sin and death, powerful it is as it is, and change our lives. And it's a testimony, Paul says. It is an assurance of the victory to come in Jesus 
It works through your lives. And it works in, the Spirit works through the ordinary means of reading your Bible. The ordinary means of prayer. The ordinary means of coming to church. The ordinary means of receiving the sacrament at the Lord's table. And through this, the Spirit begins to put death to death sin in our lives. You may not feel it now. One day you may look back on your life and say, that sin I so struggled with when I was in high school. It seems to have no power over me anymore. Or that sin I kept struggling with for years and I didn't know how to get over it. It seems to have been broken. That just through this simple thing of coming to God and looking to Him and reminding myself that I am not condemned, that I have freedom, the Spirit broke that power. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts even today. And Paul says, that's an assurance. That's a picture that's pointing you to what Jesus will do on that final day when we see Him face to face and sin will be dealt with. That when we are not condemned, the liberation begins to work in our hearts. What we call this is the difference between justification and sanctification. That those who are justified are immediately not condemned. But notice what Paul's saying. Your sanctification is connected. That those who are justified immediately begin to be sanctified. They begin that daily renewal after the image of Jesus. That's that second assurance. But the third assurance of the victory is the Father's verdict. You see, finally, we come to that third person of the Trinity mentioned in our passage, God the Father and His verdict. And in verses 3-4, through we are told what the Father's sentence is upon sin. And the sentence is, that sinners are guilty. Do you see that? God's verdict is guilty. What Paul is describing in these two verses is actually the condemnation of sin by God the Father. And this catches us off guard. It sounds negative, but it's actually incredibly positive. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the Father condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. In other words, He declares you not to be guilty because He declares Jesus to be guilty. See, the Father condemned sin in the flesh because He gave us His holy, righteous, and good law, but it was still unable to pardon us. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law has no power. Its weakness wasn't in its teaching, but it was pointing us to the very center of God's will. 
And it could not declare sinners to be not guilty. We could never have obeyed it in our sinful flesh, but God did what the law could not do. But it doesn't refer to God turning a blind eye to sin or sweeping it under the rug or like a president who gives a pardon to somebody before he leaves office lets their friends off the hook. What did God do? And in verses 3 and 4, what Paul does is he shows us what God did in a short little description of Jesus' life. This is what God did. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Referring to the Incarnation. That Jesus, God's own Son, eternally divine, existed from eternity past, is without beginning, has always been God, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and took on a human nature. The divine nature and the human nature became one person in the Lord Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He never erred in His commitment to the Heavenly Father. Never doing what He should not do. Never sinning by not doing what He should do. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, but was without sin. But that's not all God did, Paul says. He condemned sin. That's in reference to the cross. That Jesus did not come into the world to be served, to be adored, to be worshipped, although that is what He was due. But He came into this world to give His life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of Luke tells us He set His face like a flint towards Jerusalem, even though He knew that's where He would die. Anytime someone tried to get in His way, whether it was the Pharisees, or whether it was Rome, or whether it was Peter, He continued His ministry to Golgotha. And when the Jews seized Him, brought Him into the Sanhedrin, they condemned Him. But that's not what verse 3 is talking about. And then when Pilate stood before the crowd and said, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And the cries call out, give us Barabbas, Barabbas. The crowds condemned Him, but that's not what verse 3 is talking about. And then when Pilate looks at Christ and looks at the crowd and washes His hands and says, His blood is on you, He condemned Jesus. But that's not what verse 3 is talking about. The He of verse 3 is none other than than God the Father. The sense of the verse is this, that God the Father condemned in the flesh of Jesus sin in order that there would be no condemnation for us. The word condemned has the same root of the word in verse 1. That there is no condemnation for the believer because God the Father condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. And He went to the cross. 
He was nailed to that cross. And in the darkness, in the middle of the day, God poured out His wrath, all of the wrath that we were due upon Jesus, so that He could write on our rap sheet, no condemnation. Not now. Not ever. And the Spirit works in your hearts day by day, daily renewing our minds after the image of Christ. Romans 12. Victory. We look to Jesus in His cross. Victory. Victory. All through Romans 8. I have all of these things because of what Christ has done for me. Though Satan preaches to me six days a week, you're condemned. You're not worthy. God will turn your back from you, hit on you. We can say today, no condemnation now. I dread because Jesus and all in Him is mine. Are you in Christ this morning? Shielded from the wrath of God this morning. The judgment of God this morning. Come to Jesus. Come and welcome to Christ. Today is that day of salvation. And you can sing with the saints of old. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that there is no condemnation for us. Sinful though we are, we come to You even though, Father, we agree with Paul in Romans 7 that we are that wretched man. But Father, there is no condemnation for us in Christ. And we thank You that that shed blood is ours and that the Spirit applies it to our hearts every day, every time we open the Word and confess our sins in prayer. We pray, Father, that these assurances of the victory in Christ would be true for our hearts, that we would embrace them in faith, and that we might sing, as we will in just a moment, with joyful hearts, that there is no condemnation, not only for others, but yes, even for me. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.